Hi, Governor Jesse Ventura on Substack here, Die First Then Quit. That's the name of our show, and you know, the thought behind that show is that I'm gonna keep talking till I die. You know, that's when I'll quit. So anyway, a great guest today, John Kiriakou. I call him a friend today because I've known John for a number of years. He's a former CIA counterterrorism officer and a former senior investigator with the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He is also a contributor to the Shear Report. Now, first, before we get to the current stuff, John, how you been? Hey, thanks for asking, and thanks for having me on. Actually, things have been going pretty well. Uh, I feel like uh, we're able to get the word out on some of these important issues, plenty of places to publish, and uh, feedback and reactions have been positive. So I'm I'm optimistic about things. Well, that, that's excellent. You know, I, I should have used it in my lead-in, but I'll throw it out now to have some fun with it. If the day ever comes where it becomes where Jesse Ventura ends up president of the United oh, States, yes. which of course is just pipe dreaming, but if that day were to happen, I want the public all to know that John would be running my CIA if I'm mayor. And Thank there's a reason for that, for that because uh, he's very vastly experienced. He'd stir them up beyond belief, and he has integrity, which is my most important attribute, I think, that I like the best. But now let's get down to the nitty-gritty, John. John, as a journalist, which you are now, you recently traveled to Saudi Arabia to cover President Biden's July diplomatic trip to the Middle Eastern nation. While we were told by the U.S. media that part of Biden's visit was to get tough on the Saudi kingdom for the murder of Washington Post writer Jamal Khashoggi, what was the reality on the ground, John? What was your perception of the trip? Well, I, I honestly wanted President Biden to succeed, at least on the, on the Jamal Khashoggi issue. I, I really wanted him to succeed. And the, the fact of the matter is, this trip for him could not have gone any worse. He embarrassed himself with, with this silly fist bump. He asked the Saudis, hat in hand, to increase oil production, to help us bring our own gas prices down. And when he left the kingdom a day and a half later, he left with nothing. But what he ended up doing inadvertently was legitimizing Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. So here we are two weeks after the Biden uh, visit to Saudi Arabia, and Mohammed bin Salman is making a with the Washington Post today called a rehabilitation trip through Europe. He met with the Greek prime minister yesterday. He met with the president of France today. He's going to Germany tomorrow. That's exactly the opposite of what we wanted President Biden to accomplish. Um, John, if you'd have been President Biden, what would you have hit him hard on? I would have hit him hard on human rights. You know, we always say how important human rights are in the United States. We always say to other countries that we're this shining beacon of respect for human rights and civil rights and civil liberties. And when push comes to shove, it's just simply not true. You know, I, I've used this one example uh, in the past. I'd like to use it again. When, when I was serving uh, on, on loan to the State Department, uh, I was... Uh, the human rights officer in a little country in the Middle East called Bahrain. It's connected to Saudi Arabia by a 20 mile long bridge. And there's this congressionally mandated 
uh, human rights report that we have to write every year, and then you send it to Congress. Well, if if John Kiriakou goes in to see the Minister of, of the Interior and says, look, Your Excellency, you can't murder 15-year-old kids because they marched in peaceful pro-democracy demonstrations. I'm going to have to write this up, and I'm going to have to send it to Congress. And that may impact your ability to buy U.S. weapon systems. But then, after I leave the meeting, the CIA station chief goes in and says, don't listen to the human rights guy. We want you to open a secret prison here where we can torture people or you torture them and you give us write-ups of what they're saying. Well, who do you think he's going to listen to? So we're either pro-human pro rights or we're not. We can't just pretend to be both. Okay, now let's back up again a little. We all assume the main thrust, I mean, us average people of the meetings, of course, was to beg the Saudi kingdom to increase gas production, which would then lower prices immediately, which everyone's panicked here over. I'm not, because I drive Teslas now. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but anyway, how did it turn out for President Biden? Was he able to make the case, and we've seen gas prices drop a little bit, but I've always said they're going to settle in now at at least four to four and a quarter a gallon. What do you see? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. You know, two weeks before Biden went, uh, French President Macron asked Mohammed bin Salman to increase production to help bring gas prices down in France. They're, they're almost $10 a gallon in France. And Mohammed bin Salman told him that the Saudis are producing at full capacity. They just can't do it. There might be a little bit of wiggle room, just a little bit, but they're not even going to discuss it until they get to the OPEC Plus meeting, which is later on in August. So two weeks before this trip, Biden knew exactly what the answer was going to be. And he made the trip anyway and got the answer that Macron got. So he got literally nothing out of this trip, literally nothing. Now, now, uh, that hits my next question, and I'm going to ask it anyway. What else was discussed on this trip that, that, as both journalist and former intelligent agent, which you are, believe the people need to be made aware of, simply that the trip was a total failure? No, the the other thing was discussion about a a regional defense agreement. Uh, They're calling it the NATO of the Middle East. So it just so happened that while Biden was out there, it coincided with the annual heads of state summit of the Gulf Cooperation Council. So these are the kings, emirs or sultans of Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Bahrain, Qatar, Oman and the United Arab Emirates. So he asked if he could address all of those leaders and invite the leaders of Egypt, Jordan, and Iraq. So it was a very big summit. And what he essentially did was he proposed this defense agreement where all these countries would cooperate militarily with Israel with an eye toward keeping the Iranians at bay. Now, that's all fine and good in theory, but the Saudis... Uh, and the the Qataris, for example, and the Iraqis, they don't want to have anything to do with Israel. And so the president spoke his piece. The Israelis were sort of smiling in the background on Zoom, and uh, nothing happened. <laughs> now, I also hear, now this is very interesting, and I'll call this news breaking. 
I also hear that you had a very interesting conversation about Saudi King Salman's current state of health. Does he have a problem? You know, this was this was kind of a fascinating aside uh, for me. Um, I I noticed that uh, the king had a an iPod. I'm sorry, an iPad on his lap through the whole meeting with the president. And it was kind of odd to me. Later on in the day, I was talking to a journalist from Al Jazeera and he said, hey, did you notice the the iPad on uh, the King's lap? And I said, yeah, I thought that was kind of odd. Like, what's he doing? Like answering emails or something when, when he's meeting with the president? And he said, no, you didn't see Mohammed bin Salman at the end of the, of the half circle of visitors. He said Mohammed bin Salman had an iPad on his lap, and he said the king is demented. He's 86 years old. He's unable to hold a thought, unable to carry on a a conversation of any import. And so the crown prince would type in text messages to his father. Um, He would would write questions uh, that that the king could then ask the president. And he would write responses when the president was asking him a question. So the conversation was not even really between Biden and King Salman. It was between Biden and Mohammed bin Salman on text message. Now, let's switch subjects, John, because there's another one that will rear its head, always will, until it comes to conclusion. And John, I know you've talked about the case extensively before. But do you have any updates or new perspectives on the current status of Julian Assange and his extradition to the United States? What's happening with Julian? Yeah, it's it's slowed a little bit. You know, many of us were were fearful that this extradition would happen so quickly that Julian could be here by the end of July. That's not the case. If he is extradited, it's probably not going to be until March or April now. Uh, what happened was when when uh, Home Secretary Priti Patel upheld the extradition, uh, she also said at the time that she would not respect a delay imposed on the extradition by the European Court of Human Rights so that they could hear the case on a human rights basis. Um, she, in fact, changed her mind. And so the family did uh, appeal the case to the European Court of Human Rights. Now, the reason that's important is that in at least three previous cases, the European Court of Human Rights has refused to allow the extradition of British prisoners to the United States solely because of the way that we use solitary confinement. Another important point here, Governor, is that um, the prosecutors, the, the, the Justice Department prosecutors have promised the British courts that Julian will not be placed in solitary confinement unless there's a threat on his life, and that he will not be placed in a a special uh, administrative unit or a communications management unit. That's all nonsense, because it's not up to the prosecutors to decide who goes to what unit in what prison. It's solely up to the Bureau of Prisons. They, they can't make a promise like that. And, 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 and not only that, but how would anyone know whether anything like that was being honored? You're exactly right. You know, the drone whistleblower, uh, Daniel Hale, uh, he, the, the prosecution asked for 20 years in prison for Daniel. The judge gave him 46 months and, um, and recommended that he serve the 46 months at a low security prison hospital to help him deal with his very significant PTSD from his time in Afghanistan. 
Instead, they sent him to a supermax, to supermax Marion in Illinois, and essentially just gave the judge the middle finger. Wow. Yeah, see, that's the whole thing to me is this. There's no way to check. They could say they're going to do all this stuff. They could say where he's going to go. But once he's out of the public eye and they got him shackled and they can send him any damn place they want to send him. And we probably will never see or hear from him again. Well, there, there are several different ways to do that, too. Number one, all they have to say is somebody threatened Julian Assange, right? Any random prisoner can just walk up to any guard and say, I heard somebody else say they want to kill Julian Assange. And then Julian goes directly to solitary confinement, quote unquote, for his own protection. Yeah. And then he can stay there forever. The other thing is what the Bureau of Prisons is able to do. And I was actually threatened with this when I was in prison was um, put you into something called transportation mode. When you're in transportation. Oh, yeah. I've heard of this. I've heard it. Go ahead, though. I've heard of this. (laughs) You don't have access to email. You don't have access to a phone. You can't send or receive mail. They they'll they'll put you on a bus and send you to uh, Harrisburg and then they'll put you on a Conair flight and send you to the penitentiary in Atlanta and then to Oklahoma City and then to Lompoc and you're there for years. Finally, John, let's move forward. And this is one I've been waiting to get your perspective on. Take all the time you need. John, as someone who worked on Capitol Hill, what are your thoughts and reactions today to the January 6th hearings? Oh, boy. You know, I've actually I've actually kind of changed my perspective a little on these on these hearings. Uh, Really, there are two different issues here. Two different worlds, even. Something like 845 people have been charged with crimes related to that day. And almost all of these crimes are misdemeanors. It it almost makes you think, you know, why spend the taxpayers' money? But, you know, I I get it. I understand. You don't want a a repeat uh, every four years when people don't like the outcome of the election. Um, On the other hand, the committee, I, I believed, was just for show. And the reason I believed that in the beginning was that the chairman of the committee, Benny Thompson, the senior congressman from uh, Mississippi, said that the committee did not intend to make criminal referrals to the Justice Department based on the testimony that they heard. And then and then Liz Cheney said, oh, yes, we will. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, maybe this is serious then. This is for real. Um, my attorney is a close friend of Congressman Jamie Raskin. They're in regular touch every couple of days. And Raskin says that serious felonies are going to be uh, are going to be levied against a variety of people. Well, from what we've heard so far, one of those people has to be Donald Trump. Now, it's a completely different issue. Uh, what the Justice Department is going to end up doing. It's it's a very big deal to charge a former president with with felonies. But do we see a repeat of 1975? Do we have do we have Joe Biden then pardon Donald Trump uh, for the good of the country? I'm not sure. But we're getting into some really serious political waters here that I think neither side has fully thought through. Well, you know, to me, I'm I'm looking at the at it from the fact of uh, I'm still so highly offended 
over what occurred that day. I agree. And and for me as a veteran, and I've said this multiple times, I cannot forgive and I the Republicans, and I'm still waiting for them to apologize for someone carrying a Confederate flag through my capital. Amen. Oh, I, I couldn't agree any more strongly. And and so to me, I'm very biased. I'm very anti. I want people fried over this. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, another disappointment, too, is is the way the Republicans have responded to the Capitol Police. You know, if if one of the 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 cornerstones of your political ideology is the support for for law enforcement and then you turn on the Capitol Police in public like this, it's just unforgivable. How, how about John, the latest press from Trump the other day? where he, he returned to D.C., and the major of his speech was telling us crime is overtaking our country. Yeah, right. Here's a guy who, what, what is he called January 6th, where five people died? Did you ever hear my comparison to Charles Manson on him? No. Oh, oh it's ironic. Let me tell you it right now. Look at the situation. Okay. Charles Manson set his minions up to 10, 1,050 Saleo Drive, the Tate House, mm-hmm. pumped, pumped them all up beforehand. He didn't go, but he told them to wreak havoc. Yes, the yes. Exa- the exact thing Trump did with his rally that day, right? That's right. So, so the minions go up and people die. Now, here's the ironic part, John. Five people died in both cases. Oh, that is ironic. Five yes, people. It's then, true. then when the minions came back, what happened? Trump congratulated them, told them he loved them and all that. Yeah. When when yeah. Manson's people came back, did the same thing with them. You're absolutely right. Oh yeah. And and it just lines up. And neither Manson nor Trump would ever say they were responsible for it. Yeah, that is true. Well, you know, once they start charging people. It's going to be every man for himself, and they're all going to start to flip. You, you know, think people, so? I do. I do. Yeah, because it think, usually goes that way, doesn't it? When the when the when it starts eroding, they're all like rats leaving the ship and looking out for themselves. They really are. It's all about saving themselves. I think most Americans by now have forgotten that almost all of the sentences related to the Watergate break-in were were under. 18 months. And most of them were under a year. You know, Charles Colson was only in prison for like eight months and it was a minimum security work camp. The only person who got any real time was Gordon Liddy. He got five years because he was a jerk about it um, <laughs> all through the trial. Uh, but those those sentencing guidelines have gone by the wayside years ago. Uh, sentencing guidelines are much, much tougher now. And people have to face the prospect of doing real prison time. And I think in order to save themselves, they're going to be pretty easily flipped. Well, we'll see what happens. Anyway, John, this has been wonderful talking to you today. Thank you so much. We'll wrap it up, but will you talk again? We'd love to get, I'd love to get you back here as things happen because your perspective on what goes on in Washington, to me, money can't buy that perspective from you. Thank you. I am at your service. I love the show and I'm happy to do it anytime you'd like. By the way, John, are you going to get involved in the forward party with uh, Andrew Yang? I am. Yeah, I think I am, actually. You know, I, th- I think for all of us who, who complain about the current state of politics, I think we owe it to these guys to put our money where our mouths are. 
and uh, and to help them uh, get organized because it's all about organization and money. And I found I found it great too. A, a good friend of mine has joined up too. Former uh, New Jersey Governor Christy Todd Whitman. Right, she's one of the founders. Yep. And this so is good, this is a good move. Oh yeah, and so I'm I'm getting behind this, and uh, uh, hopefully I'll be at their convention and all. That. I'm oh, going to get pol- I'm going to get political active again. Excellent. I'll be there with you. Okay, John, you take care. We'll look forward to talking to you again. And thank you very much for coming on with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye.